Welcome to Hope Talks Podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. We would love your feedback and invite you to take a short, anonymous survey. You can find the link to the survey in the show notes. Welcome to today's broadcast of Hope Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. And I'm Pastor Margaret Michael. Thanks for tuning in today. And today we're joined by Skip and Carol Tobin. How are you all doing today? It's a beautiful day. Great to be here. Well, we are so glad to have you all at the table today. Uh, I was just sitting here thinking as Grayson was introducing, I met you first. Yes. And then I met Skip. uh, Met Carol first, then I met Skip. And both in ministry settings. Yes. Um, both about mission, which is, I believe, you all just have missionary hearts. And so I was talking to Grayson the other day, and I'm like, you know, there is a couple that I would love to come in uh, and just share what they're doing because the ministry that they're a part of, and two separate ministries, there's just a lot happening in those areas. But Grayson and I love to hear the stories. Um, That's what we're here is we know that you are both lives redeemed by Christ, right? And so we we would be amiss not to go there and um, share that part of your story. So whoever would like to go first, share a little bit about where you're from, how you grew up. Okay, well, I grew up, we both grew up in Pennsylvania, um, south of Philadelphia, and we both had parents who were involved with the Presbyterian Church. Both of our fathers were elders, both of our fathers were bald, both of our mothers are named Anne. That's true. Uh, Both of our parents came to faith in the 50s, probably at the time when Billy Graham Mm -hmm. was active, and um, both experienced a significant just turning of their lives towards Christ Mm -hmm. in a radical way. As we look at the line of our family, it would have looked very, very different had they not made that commitment to the Lord Jesus. So I grew up in a family that was just focused on learning, serving, growing, involved with ministry to international students. So I got a good taste of having people from other cultures in our home all the time. And I really emulated my parents, wanted to... Um, didn't want any other kind of life because I saw a lot of joy. So I didn't really go through a a radical rebellion. Mm. I did have to come to the point of realizing that I was not a good girl, even though Mm. everything looked like I was a good girl. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I did have a time when, yeah, when really I needed to give my life to the Lord. And and the Lord's been very faithful to hold me. Mm. And yeah, so when we got married, I was... I was just on it, you know. Yeah. Our lives are for mission. We're just going to lean into every opportunity that we possibly have. Mm-hmm. And it didn't have to look like employment. or It was just our lives are, home is going to be open, all that good stuff, mm-hmm. which eventually led us to go to Thailand. So that's my side of the story. Yes, get up. Yeah, um, my situation, maybe some beginnings that are similar in that my parents are also first-generation Christians. My grandparents were not believers very different background. My grandmother came from the old country, she said, from Lithuania, and my grandfather from present-day Ukraine. But they had no church connection. And my grandparents on my father's side didn't ever darken the door of a church mm-hmm. building. That was them. So my parents seemed to have difficulty in the 60s raising me, their first child. <laughs> I was 15, 
uh, years old in 1969. And so I had already soaked myself listening to the radio and what my friends were doing it was very important to me in school. I didn't do very well in school. I wasn't a very strong athletic type, not like my parents who were like super athletes. Mm. So I felt amiss in many ways, and I filled that missing hole by um, yeah, wanting to be like my friends and wanting people to like me. And I also felt I needed direction, really I needed a purpose in life. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell what that would be. Um, but um, in the 60s, there was, um, yeah, people believed and had hope for a future, for a new world. And I, I believed that. I believed in the age of Aquarius and um, smoked weed to make it happen. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen by smoking weed, I found out. <laughs> and so in high school, yeah, it was in high school, it was, uh, well, it was downhill in many ways. didn't do very well. My uh, smoking weed went to more things, to LSD, to, you know, I, I wasn't uh, a drug addict in the hard sense of the word, but I was uh, highly dependent on drugs. And then I began to open myself up to the occult, at least in the beginning ways, but Honestly, at age 16, my girlfriend got pregnant, and um, it sent me on a whole new journey. At 17, after our son was born, I was um, out of the house, and I got married afterwards. And just to, I really wanted to do what was right, but I found myself stuck and doing things I didn't want to do. Mm. And uh, even though I practiced meditation, even though I worked hard on controlling myself, uh, after I was done I was the same selfish person, mm-hmm. and I, I got really, well, I had a wake-up when my ex-wife left uh, when I was 20 years old and took our son. He was only three years old at the time, mm-hmm. so my, I was just heartbroken. I didn't know what to do with myself, and I realized that myself was part of the problem. How do you change yourself if yourself is the problem? I had studied religion, and the more I studied religion, other religions, uh, pop, Hinduism, and Buddhism, the more I realized that I did need to change myself, but I didn't know how. Yeah. And even in the studies of Hinduism and Buddhism, there were glimmers of the Lord Jesus that were attractive to me. But I didn't want to join the American dream about Christianity. It was really a turnoff to me. Mm-hmm. You see, uh, my friends came back from Vietnam, and they were not the same. They were so broken. I sure didn't want to go there. And I guess I had problems you know, with my parents and a scene of working hard to get money, but then missing some of the relationship that I really needed. Yeah. So I was, was hurting. So when my ex left, I knew that uh, I needed more, and I knew I couldn't stop smoking weed, and uh, I really wanted to. And I had a wake-up one time. You know, I was 20 years old. I had a wake-up where I sensed that the world was gone the wrong direction, and somehow I had to go in a different way. But I didn't know how. And I decided then that I would listen to my conscience the best that I possibly could. And, and that, um, and that was, a, it was important to me. I really wanted to, I, I couldn't say I believed in God. I even believed in Jesus, but somehow he lacked a power in my life. He was one of many choices, maybe. So, um, yeah, I could tell you my story. Then This is where I was, how Jesus really broke into my life at age 20, I went back to live with my parents, and uh, yeah, something happened to me that was uh, really shocking. It turned my life around. Mm. You, you willing to share that with us? <laughs> you want more? I was already oh, pretty yeah. long. Yeah, yeah, you go right ahead. <laughs> so I, I went back to live with my parents, and that was a good thing because I was really sorry that I had broken up my relationship with them. They, they really loved me. I have parents, gee, I have parents who were 91 and 96 right now. 
And you know, my parents, they're right, right now in Florida, but they came up to live near us. They live up the street from us. But they pray for us still every day. They're still praying for us. Mm-hmm. And I'm almost, I'm in my 70th year. Can wow. you imagine your parents still praying for you? My parents still pray for us and, and for their grandkids. And um, they prayed for their son who was gone the wrong way. They prayed for their son who lost his marriage at age 20. They prayed for their son who was stuck smoking weed all the time. They prayed for their son who was involved in the occult in ways they had no clue. So I used to find myself uh, doing things I didn't want to do. It's not that I was such a bad person or wanted to be a bad person. But then again, uh, evil power started working in me. And I found myself stuck, you know, um, with twisted thinking. And I, I would practice things like putting thoughts in people's heads and you know, simple stuff. But really, it was a lot of darkness to the things and the direction I was gone in. So here I was back at home, age 20, and I wanted to, I wanted to change, but I didn't really know how. And I was really turned against uh, what I thought about American Christianity and Jesus being the only way. It was really, really graded against me. How could Jesus be the only way? Mm. Yeah, so, so it, was, it was in the fall that uh, I went down to Assateague Island on a weekend, kind of like on a lark. I felt like I had to go, but it was October in hurricane season, and a hurricane was reported to be coming in. So Assateague Island's in Maryland, Virginia line on the, the islands. Um, and so I went, though it was kind of crazy to go. And as I drove down, drove in my little Volkswagen, you know, I was an old hippie, so... I had to have a Volkswagen. I'm getting the picture. <laughs> Even though I had my hair shorn off, you know, and a scruffy yeah. beard. There I was in this car driving down to Assateague Island. We lived in Pennsylvania. You can tell by my accent. Mm-hmm. As I drove, a presence began to fill the car, and I began to sing in other languages that I had never learned. Mm-hmm. I had never done that before. I had no idea why I was even doing it. I remember driving, and as I drove, it was raining. And I felt like I was driving against the rain and against the wind, and there I was singing in languages I didn't know. And didn't even, I knew I wanted to go to the state park, but didn't know why I was doing this. I felt really compelled to go. I pulled into the state park and um, spent the night in that Volkswagen in the rain and wind. You know, sleeping in a little Volkswagen is not very comfortable, but there <laughs> I was. And I got out in the morning when I opened the car door. There was a tent collapsed only like four yards from the car. Like, oh, I could have ran over these people. It was dark. And the people who were in the tent popped out at, right at the same time. And they happened to be, uh, they looked like hippies. They looked like freaks like me. Uh, they had long hair and long beard. He had a long beard. And she had some hippie clothes on. And they had a baby. And um, so I got to meet these folks. And um, they happened to be Jesus freaks, which was surprising to me. So there I was, meeting these Jesus freaks. They're really the only people I met when I came to that place. And, and they invited me to go to the ocean, which was roaring. It stopped raining. The ocean was roaring. We stepped in front of the ocean. I went there with them. And they began to speak psalms from the Bible. How great the power of the world was, like a roar of the ocean, but how God was even greater. I wondered to myself, who are these people? And why are they talking like this? But something about them... I felt just caught up by them and wanted to know who they were, what was going on in their lives. His name was Ephraim. They had changed their names. They had traveled all over the world. Ephraim, Abigail, and they had a baby named Zubby. Get this, short for Zerubbabel. Oh <laughs> they named their kids. Well, this is, you know, the early 70s. You just got to get the time. Anyway, I ended up taking, they had hitchhiked from Baltimore down there with their baby in tent. So I, they needed a ride. 
It was raining. They had to leave. People were leaving that campground by the droves. Uh, their tents were all smashed and trailers. They were getting, everybody was leaving. So we left. I drove them. And as I drove, I realized that my Volkswagen had water in the carburetor, at least it seemed to me, maybe the way I had parked it. It seemed to stop and die in intersections. When I pulled into the intersection and put, lifted my gas off the pedal, the car stalled and died right there. And cars are passing on front and behind. And the people who I had in the car, these Jesus freaks were kind of, yeah. they were excited. <laughs> and they began to pray. And they prayed. They didn't pray like the people in my Presbyterian church. They prayed really loudly like God was near, like, God, help us. You know, it was kind of scary for them. And as they, as they did, I started the car at work. Well, this happened every time I pulled to the intersection. And finally, I started feeling funny in my stomach. What is going on here? Why is the, what's happening when they pray? Like, a car's working? This is crazy. Eventually, they understood that unless they prayed and loudly, the car didn't even work. So I drove them all the way to Baltimore. And when I got out of the car, my stomach was feeling funny and queasy, and my knees were shaking. I wondered what was going on here. And really, from these people... I heard and understood. They gave me a Bible and asked me to read. I read the book of Daniel and Revelation all in at night and realized that it was the same story, that really the center and what I was looking for, the center of the world, was the one who, was, who died and rose again. It was the lamb slain from the beginning of the world. And it was the same story from Daniel and Revelation. How did I figure it out? I knew God was speaking to me. And so I really never prayed the prayer. I never really talked with them very much. Really, I went to an evening concert, gave out literature with them, and was so charged by the Spirit of God that I knew something was going on. Next day, I packed up and rolled, and I never saw them again. But somehow, God got a hold of me, because as I drove home that day, that Sunday, to go back to work on Monday, I began to um, experience God a new way. I began to call out to God as if God was my Father. I remember tears are running down, running down my jeans, as I cried out to God as Father, and I told my parents. And they were, they were surprised, but they wondered about these people. But from that time, and there's a whole lot more I could tell you, but from that time, something really changed in me. I haven't been the same. You know, this is, well, we're talking about um, 49 years ago. That's incredible. 49 years ago. I haven't been the same. Something stirred in me, and I began to tell other people about Jesus from that time. I began to live a new life. In fact, my parents' friends from their Presbyterian church took me under their wing, and they began to teach me. I began to learn and hang out with them, learn to pray, learn to read the Bible. Um, something happened, something incredibly dramatic. It changed the whole course of my life. I could tell you on and on. But anyway, that might be enough. <laughs> That's um, good. I'd love to hear your story because it helps me to understand why you're so passionate. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how in the tapestry of all the people, that God intersects us with specific people that can speak our language. That's right. Absolutely it. That's exactly right. He knew what you needed, and he knew what they needed. Yep. I needed people who could speak my language. And you were with them a lot longer because your car kept stalling. Yeah, I was with them. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, thank you all both for sharing. So now you're in a Presbyterian church. Yeah, I got to hang out with people who were on mission. You know, they had this life that was up, connecting with God deeply. We met every Thursday for prayer and worship. You know, every Sunday we had the church time, and it was a good time. Mm -hmm. And every Friday, I should say Friday night, we opened a coffee house. 
and that coffee house, my young friends who were my age, the next week or the week after, they said, Skip, we heard your story. That's incredible. Why don't you tell all these people here? Oh, wow. And I, and I was so excited about what happened. I didn't even think about myself. And I had never done anything like that. But I just told them this crazy story. And they had this little makeshift stage, you know, and there I was sitting up there telling the story. Second week, I told the story. There was people who took me under their wing. But, yeah, it was up connecting with God deeply. We were in fellowship with one another, in and relationship, confessing our sins to one another, encouraging one another. And we were out in mission together every week. And that really shaped my life. So that was through the Presbyterian Church, yeah. yeah Reformed Presbyterian Church at the time. Yeah. There were some great people. Yeah. So when did your all's lives connect? Oh, goodness. Well, we met. Skip eventually realized that he needed to have some elders. God led him to elders. And he moved in with these people. Um, just showed up one day and said, I'm going to move in with yeah. you, sort of. And they were having, they had a, they were involved in a prison ministry. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was way back. And, but they had meetings on Saturday nights to prepare for going into the prisons on mm-hmm. Sunday. And God, you know, I mean, this is the days of the Jesus movement days. Mm-hmm. So sat, those Saturday night meetings were just, God started to show up and do things. And I happened to show up there with a previous boyfriend one night. And I discovered, one, the Holy Spirit. And secondly, a community that was growing and helping me to grow in ways that my Presbyterian church had not Mm. helped me to grow. And so I was sort of like a baby Mm. among this new community. And, you know, here I was, like, you know, my master's degree always assumed to be a leader of whatever I was involved in. And I was being told by Pastor Bob, well, just hang out with the young women. And so I was spending time with these girls who were high school grads, maybe, you know, had a baby or two. Yeah, I mean, our worlds were very different. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of humbling. Mm-hmm. And, and then meanwhile, of course, <laughs> there's Skip, part of that community. He'd actually been one of the ones that prayed for me that first night that I was there. And, well, this is Skip, and he's married, and he's waiting for his wife to come back. And since my boyfriend had dumped me, I was like, forget this. I'm not interested in dating men. Or, you know, mm-hmm. no, I'm not, I'm not going there again. And so I thought, oh, this is a very safe relationship. I can just, because he's mature. Look at that. He's putting the Lord first, and he's seriously seeking God. And this is something that I can deeply admire and realize that a friendship can develop here. So a friendship did develop. Mm-hmm. And unbeknownst to me, he was fasting and praying and seeking God and discussing with the elders and trying to discern, you know, in a situation of, like, what do you do? Is there freedom to remarry in this case? You know, there are people with lots of different opinions about that. Yeah. And it was not an easy, it was not an easy shifting of focus mm and discernment for him to make. And I was oblivious of all of that wrestling that was happening on his part. I was simply thinking, if he were available, I would marry him. (laughs) If he were were available, I would marry him. Um, And then one day, I mean, mean, this is the funny funny part. Are you allowed the funny part? Mm -hmm. So the funny part was that we had sort of come to an agreement that 
you know, it probably wasn't really good for us to hang out by ourselves, mm-hmm. just the two of us. So, fair enough. And uh, then he called me up one day and, and wanted me to help him pick up his truck. He always had a broken down truck. And so I agreed to do that. And then I thought, oh, well, wait a minute. That means that we're going to be in the car together. And into my head, shoot, flashing dropped right down the thought, well, it must mean that he's going to ask me to marry him. I have no idea to this day where that thought came from, but it was actually true. Wow. So, and then, of course, he was incredibly surprised that after months and months of prayer and fasting and agonizing, um, I was ready to say yes, like, you know, the second I heard him ask, which was like, how does that happen? Mm -hmm. Um, The Lord was preparing you. So anyway, um, here we are married now for 43 years and six daughters later. And I think we make a a pretty good team, not an easy team, (laughs) not an easy team because we don't think alike. Um, We are not alike, but I help him do things that um, he can't do. And he helps me do things that I can't do. And Mm -hmm. Without each other, I don't think either of us would be where we are today. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, opposites attract. That's right. <laughs> if you were the same, that might be kind of boring. Well, it is I not boring. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that you all have been on the mission field. So you have six daughters. How did that all work? Like, when were you called to the mission field? And I just have to just stop for just one second and say, you know, sometimes you just kind of think you know people, and I'm like. Okay, when you all said you were in Pennsylvania, I said, yeah, they're from Lancaster. Oh, no. Uh, we were from the Mennonite. And I'm like, neither one of you all. No, we're not from Mennonite background. I did not know that until right today. If you scratch in my background, there would be not much church background. Right, well, that's right. And Carol, it's, too. And when they play the Mennonite game, you know, they say, oh, here, Tobin, Tobin. And then they try to think. <laughs> you, you, you just wait. And go like, you're not going to come up with anything. It's not there. <laughs> it's not there. That's so interesting. So I, I don't want to jump ahead, but it'll come out in the story somewhere, I guess. So, yeah, in, um, yeah, it's a long story. But we did sense that our lives were given to the Lord from the beginning. Mm-hmm. That without the Lord in our lives, we wouldn't work. And we did sense God's grace on us. And that's, yeah, that's not only the unmerited favor, it says, but it's the power to do the things that God's calling us to do. We have God helps us to do what He's calling us to do, and we experience that in our life together. We got to work with a new church plant. The prison ministry turned into a church. We lived in downtown Kennett Square, uh, Pennsylvania, where um, we lived right across the street from the building we were meeting in. And we had a chapter where um, God put that town on our hearts. We saw a renewal happen in the church. Good things happen in the church and in our street. We were people who who cared about the folks who weren't connecting with church. And our church, Pastor Bob and the leaders there, would meet every Saturday from 8 to 12 just to pray for our town. They fasted. We fasted and we prayed. And people from the town began to come to us. Even the mayor and the chair of the town would come and ask and give us prayer requests Mm -hmm. for the town. And we would pray. And things began to happen. We had amazing opportunities. And people ended up living with us who needed a place. And uh, we have many, many stories about all that. Good and bad stories, as you can imagine. (laughs) Yes. Um, But really, you know, one thing that happened to us, the Lord put that town in our hearts. And together in that, we lived right, right on the main street, State Street. And we could look out and see across the street and up and down. And um, because there was only a sidewalk in the main street, like our house was right, the 
the rumble of the trucks would wake us up. And we began to pray. And we had a burden to pray for our town. It was like God stirred in us to be able to pray. It was like we couldn't even help to pray. We walked down the streets. Some folks came running to us, and some people ran away from us. And um, we had experiences of God's power working through us where we felt broken and sad about the state of things, and even our own state. And as we talked with people, the Spirit of God would touch them, and they would be, you know, people would go on their knees even. Crazy things would happen like we read about. We learned about how to cast out demons because, you know, I told you a little bit about myself. I'm somebody who comes out from a background of being demonized and a lot of struggles. And they didn't pass when I was a Christian, although when I came to Christ, I had night terrors and visitations of evil and times of great confusion and lots of brokenness that just stirred up. I didn't know how to get out of it. There's been a long process of being delivered from powers of darkness in my life. Yeah. And, um, yeah, sometimes I still feel oppressed by evil. So I struggle. I know I opened myself up to dark things. And I have worked at it and had people helping me work at it. But we began to pray for people who needed deliverance. People began to show up. And we have stories of that happening in Out of Our House in Kennedy Square. So there's many things we learned. We didn't go on the mission field. We went to Thailand. We learned that we were mission workers right when we lived in Kennedy Square. And we sensed that God was putting that place in our hearts, that God's mission field is our own hearts and all around us in our neighborhoods. We got a different perspective, but it was a preparation to go overseas. What happened to us, we took a course, was taken off of perspectives on the World Christian Movement, and we began to see that there were some places in the world that had such a little opportunity to experience the good things that we are experiencing, the blessing of God on our family, on our marriage life, seeing our children raised in a way that they could grow up whole. We were experiencing God's love as we could connect with God ourselves. We could talk to God in prayer, realizing God was answering us, all of that. But some people had no opportunity. And we began to hear about that, turned our hearts to go to Thailand. And probably Carol could tell you that better than I can. Yeah, I, it, just, um, it just became very clear to us that we would need a call to stay. And if you just look at the breakdown of where the need is, we would need a call to stay. And at that time, we took a short-term trip to Haiti with our church friends. And some of the folks in that team were having a very difficult time, you know, just like the heat, the food, and the just we were loving it. And we just thought, oh, my goodness, like, I think we, we can do this. Are we going to be givers that help other people to go, or are we going to be goers? Mm-hmm. We're goers. All right, we're goers. We went to the, yeah, the relationships that we had at the time and said, we're available to go. Where should we go? And Thailand was one of the options. And my parents had helped to sponsor some Cambodian refugees. And I had gotten very close to them and had tutored and developed a relationship and learned they taught me how to count to 10 in Thai. And I thought, well, there's a start. That's right. <laughs> That's something. So, and, when, and then we went to my parents <clears throat> and said, we're sensing and my mother was just my 96 year old mother was just recounting this story last week to us that um she had been very convicted through um some church services that she was attending and like the harvest is plentiful the workers are few please and she found herself weeping Mm -hmm. lord send you know workers to the harvest so here we come along saying mom we're, we think we're going to go. And, you know, so they, both of our parents were very, very supportive. Yeah. And here we yeah. are taking, 
you know, some beautiful four grandchildren at that time, which was a hard go for them. But, um, yeah, so we went to Thailand and, you know, didn't take an exploratory trip, um, just jumped right into that. Our youngest was four months at the time. And, um, you know, you look back and you think, oh, my goodness, there was a lot of grace on us because I don't even know how to begin to explain why we had so much peace about it. Yeah. And as you were talking through, <laughs> I was thinking about in the Bible where Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. It seemed when we made ourselves available, it was like stepping onto a roller coaster. Mm. And all of a sudden we were being shot out, you know, and we landed in Thailand quickly. Um, it was amazing. Yeah. And all the relationships that we had from ministry connections earlier in years just all came together because people knew us and goodness we're still being supported almost 30 years later by who would guess a presbyterian church in kenneth square (laughs) who still remember us wow Um, so how long were you all there so we were on site 16 years for the over the course of 20 years so that the whole span was over the course of 20 years okay and um there were some times back uh, there was a seminary year and, and different times back that we had several years back for seminary, but so all together uh, over the course of 20. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Hope Talks. We pray that part one of Skip and Carol Tobin's testimony was a half hour of hope for your life. We also pray that you'll tune in next Sunday at noon on 1470 AM and 102.1 FM WBTX for part two of their testimony. May God bless. Hope Talks is sponsored by Church of the Nazarene Harrisonburg in partnership with Sunshine Ministries. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Hope Talks. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe for updates and the latest episodes. Also, if you're in the Harrisonburg, Rockingham County area, we invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon on 1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX.